Yes, I have my study sheet and everything is good to go. Uh oh. Uh oh. They're in the back. They're in the back. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. So, how to study the Bible. So, give me a quick recap. What have been the top things that you've learned so far from our study? How to study the Bible. Yeah. But any specifics? <laughs> All right, what about it? What, what, what was it that helped you make some light bulbs go off with that one? Um, like all the different time periods that everything's written, like for, in different contexts and Yeah, so not everything is written for or to you, but everything is for you. Yeah, but it just depends, and God did things differently. Yeah, that makes a, that's a game changer when it comes to your Bible. What else? Any other highlights that's helped you out? Yeah, Emily. Just when you're talking about the context, like... I know, you know, we've always known, like, don't take a verse alone, you know, take yeah. the whole verse, look, look at the passage, but I didn't really think about looking at, like, the entire book or where that book is in the Bible. Yeah. So I was just kind of, like, the past couple of weeks I've been going through my discipleship stuff and just looking at the books we studied together in that type of, like, mm -hmm. framework yeah. made it so much clearer and so much more... I don't say memorable, like it was forgettable yeah, before. Yeah, right, right. Like, okay, if I need to go there, I know this book, this book is a great place to go, this chapter, like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yep. It just felt like I was a lot more familiar with yes. what I was doing. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Because I think even growing up at church, we learn bits and pieces of the Bible, but you don't really get to have your, your hands around the whole Bible. And those things are very, very important because you can. Um, it just takes a little bit of time, but it's very important. It'll, it'll make everything clear, especially when it comes to dispensations and other contextual details. So, yeah, that's good. Anybody else have anything that they want to highlight? Sam? Being a good steward slash taking advantage of the study tools we have right now. Yes. 2020. For real. Yeah, the fact that you can, I mean, imagine, I mean, if you could go back just even 100 years or even 150 years to guys that were Christians back then, they would be blown away at what you guys have. Just like, first of all, they didn't have books like this. If they did, it was, you know, it was smaller ones. But they, you actually have a device that you can actually look up and search through the scripture that would take them hours upon hours upon hours that you can do in five minutes. It's unbelievable. So we do need to take advantage of that. That's good. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was last week or before, but just learning that, um, like, obviously, the verse taken out of context is usually because they only take, like, one verse, and they don't look at, like, what the Bible says about that in other places, too. So I always knew, like, false religion was based off of, like, out-of-context verses. Yeah. But just, like, getting to see that it was, like, you need, like, two or three to really back up an idea was, like, oh, okay, that yep. makes more sense that, like, that's why. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And and then I would say, even with that, taking it one step further, there are some people that, well, for example, because it was brought up today in one of my meetings, but Calvinism. So Calvinism is one where they actually take two or three different places, but the issue is, is they take two or three passages or verses across multiple books, but they take every single one of them out of context. So you can still take two or three verses and say, okay, I believe this because here's what it says in two or three places. But then they didn't obey the context rule and they didn't understand that. So that can be a danger as well. So, but yeah, that's a great point. And we're going to talk more about that. Yep. Sorry, I'll be quiet. After no, you're this. fine. But with like the, I think it was like the every word of every event. Yes. That you yep. it, um, I think it was just really cool when you showed us that verse. It reminded me of like a hymn that we sing at church all the time. 
And I guess I had never considered, like, there are parts of my Bible I don't really appreciate as much as I should. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about the fact that they were, like, hand-selected out of all this, out of all Christ did, out of all God said, out of all the miracles, like, this is what was picked. Like, I really need to appreciate that. That was definitely very important to him. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of, like, showed me, like, okay, those Bibles that I've just kind of been, Bibles, books of the Bible that I've just kind of been pushing off or, eh, I'll read through it, whatever. Um, that I really need to like appreciate those and really take them into like yeah. consideration. Yeah, no, it's very important. And that's something that we don't think about uh, because God could have written anything. He could have chosen any event, any, any circumstance, but yet he chose the ones that he chose for a reason. And so that should elevate everything in your Bible to a whole new level. That's good. Any other thoughts? All right. All right. So we're going to talk about the creation side of things. And this one's really, really cool. So this is rule number seven, the creation factor. And so this one boils down to on your study sheet, it's the invisible eternal truths of God can be enhanced by studying the creation he has made. This is really amazing. Um, You know, you can almost take anything in creation and find something in the Bible with it, and it will help you to understand stuff. It's it's absolutely astounding. So these three verses are just killer verses when it comes to this topic. So Romans 1.20, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. So God being invisible, spiritual truths being invisible, God used His creation to make them visible. I think that's amazing. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they're without excuse. So even the deep things of God, when it comes to the Trinity, when it comes to God's eternal power, him as the creator, it is clearly seen by creation. And that's why, honestly, for the majority of human history, up until the Laodicean church period, no one questioned God being the creator. No one did. Now, there has always been pockets of people that have denied God's existence, um, but it has not become a popular belief until the day and age that we live in now. And that's exactly why when you look at Revelation 2 and 3, when it has the letters to the churches, um, and that representing from basically 90 AD all the way up until the present day, in those letters, to the letter of the Laodiceans, it says, uh, in fact, look at it. Let's just look at it because this is just really good. Go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. God does not have to say this to any other church, to any other time period in church history. He has to say it to us, the Laodiceans. Somebody read verse 14. Go ahead, Jacob. But I have a few things against... Uh, chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans... Laodiceans... Write these things, saith the Amen, faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So here he says the beginning of the creation of God. And then he also says the faithful and true witness. We live in a culture where they don't even believe that God exists. And if a God exists, that he is not true and that he is not faithful. And if a God does exist, then how in the world could he create? And so here, right in the beginning, knowing the time period that we live in, he's addressing it right in our faces. That he says that he is the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. See, the creation of God was never something that was up for debate. When you go back to Genesis 1.1, somebody quote verse 1 of Genesis 1 for me. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is a basic assumption that needs no explanation other than, in the beginning, God. 
So if you believe the Bible, then you believe that God created everything. Period. And, I mean, that's it. There is no argument. Atheism, theistic evolution, evolution, it's all nonsense because in the beginning, God created. I love that. It makes it very simple. And people call us ignorant and simple-minded because we just believe what the Bible says, and yet it makes us wiser than all of them put together. So that is huge. So Romans 1.20 is huge when it comes to that fact. The invisible things of God are clearly seen by what He made. So His fingerprints are everywhere. His fingerprints are everywhere. <laughs> so there's a reason why we do those songs as little kids. All right, look at Psalm 19.1. Of course, because it's biblical. <laughs> Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. When you look up into the heavens, and you look into the firmament of space, it declares, it shouts the glory of God, and it shows how incredible His handiwork is, and how amazing He is. Every artist is reflected by the work they do. I love it in my house, in my house growing up. Um, we had a picture that my, my grandpa painted. My picture was an, my, my grandpa was an amazing artist. And there's, so there's this picture that's over our mantle in my parents' house. And I would look at it all the time. And it's gorgeous. It has a mountain. It's got this lake. It's got all this stuff. Amazing. When I look at that picture, I think of my grandpa. It is a reflection of his talent and, and the things that were in his heart and in his mind. It's not him, but it's a reflection of him because he made it. And it's the same thing with God's creation. And then look at Job 12, verse 7 through 10. But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall teach thee. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind? If you go to the beasts, you go to the fowls, you go to the earth, you go to the fish, and you go to all of God's creation, you start to ask questions, you'll be able to find out some pretty interesting things about God. It's pretty fascinating. All right, so creation is referred to as God's general revelation. That's your first blank there. Creation is referred to as God's general revelation of Himself. General revelation. Yeah, general revelation. Not Revelation General, but not Dollar General. <laughs> general Revelation. So creation is referred to as God's general revelation of Himself because anyone, anywhere, can see the evidence of God in it. We already read Romans 1.20. God created everything after the pattern of Himself, and therefore no one can make the excuse that they did not and could not know about God. Take a look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's look at this one. Just a little bit to your left. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 mainly, but the beginning of verse 5. And someone read that for me. 3, 4, and 5. Go ahead. Actually, you know, go ahead and you can do it. Yeah, Ethan. Knowing this verse, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. All right, so we can talk about 5, 6, and 7 uh, at a later point in time, but I want to focus on 3, 4, and the beginning of 5. So knowing this verse, that there shall come in the last days, which are the days we live in, scoffers. So people that make fun of the things that we believe. And the reason why they make fun of what we believe is because they walk after their own lusts. 
if people make fun of what we believe and say what we believe is not true, then they can do whatever they want. And then verse 4, and saying, so these are the things that these scoffers say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all of humanity and people that have died before us, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now, they don't even really believe in creation, but they're just saying everything has just continued. It's just always has been, which is amazing to me that they would even believe something like that. Uh, and that's another, another fact for another day. But this is what they do. They don't believe that God's coming back. They don't believe in creation. They don't believe in the, in the ways of God. They don't believe in the plan of God. And they're just scoffers. But there is going to come a day where no one can have the excuse because the witness of creation was right in front of their face day in and day out. So the Bible is referred to as God's special revelation. Special revelation. The Bible is referred to as God's special revelation because... It is written for those who want to know more about the God of creation and his great plans and purposes for mankind. Therefore, creation and the Bible will always work together to proclaim the truths of God. So let's talk about this for a second. I got a list in front of you, and this is just a basic list. And these are just basic categories. So I know there's other nuances that we could consider. But by and large, if you were to summarize these things, you could totally see examples of God's fingerprints upon creation. So just running through the list, you've got an atom, proton, neutron, and electron. You've got the human race. If you were to break down the human race, you could break it down, as far as their lineage is concerned, from, to African, Caucasian, and Oriental, into those three races, which is pretty interesting. Uh, humans are made up of body, soul, and spirit. When it comes to time, you have past, present, and future, days, months, and years, morning, afternoon, night. You've got countries. You've got the Eastern, Western, and Third World. Colors, you've got red, blue, and yellow. Everything's made up of those primary colors. Earth, you've got land, sea, and air. Matter, you have solid, liquid, gas. Space, you've got height, width, and depth. Kingdoms, animal, vegetable, mineral. Reality, space, time, and matter. Which, by the way, space, time, and matter exist in Genesis 1-1. Which is pretty kind of cool. I don't know if you ever noticed that there. But, in fact, you know look at it because it's, it's pretty awesome. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, what would that be? Time. Time. God created? Space. Matter. <laughs> matter, the heaven and the earth. Space. space. So right there, you have, you have space, time, and matter right there in Genesis 1-1, which is kind of cool. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. My mind. Yeah. Well, God blew your mind, not I. <laughs> there we go. Um, and then when it comes to um, electricity, you have positive, negative, and neutral. On water, you've got two hydrogen and one oxygen atoms. Fire, you need fuel, oxygen, and a spark. For heavens, you have atmosphere, space, and the third heaven. On your skin, you have the dermis, epidermis, and hypodermis. Planet Earth, you've got crust, mantle, and core. Teeth, you have enamel, dentin, and root. Light, you have heat rays, x-rays, visible light. Hair, you have the cuticle, cortex, and medulla. Plants, you have stems, roots, and leaves. For books, you have beginning, middle, and end. Education, you have elementary, middle, and high school. Although, they say intermediate, but intermediate doesn't count. It's kind of like, it's kind of like adolescence. It just doesn't count. Okay? Um, you also have bachelor's, master's, and doctorate degrees. When it comes to the government, which is straight out of the Bible, you have executive, legislative, and judicial branches. Music, you got soprano, alto, and tenor. Three-part harmony is always the best. I don't care what you have to say. What about the bases? What now? Or bases. <laughs> Bass is actually just an echo of other parts. Same with baritones. So, I still don't know. Yeah, I know, exactly. So, anyway. <laughs> All right. Family. At least the biblical family. You have a father, a mother, and a child. 
And when it comes to levers, you got fulcrum, load, and effort. You got class one, two, and three levers. Laws of motion, you have the law of inertia. You have the law of force equals mass times acceleration. And you have every action as an equal and opposite reaction. And then you have the strongest shape in the world, and that would be the triangle. So these are just a sampling of the things where the Trinity is very visible in all of creation. God does this stuff all over the place if we're willing just to look for it. So it's quite amazing. So before we get into the other list, I wanted to show you guys this video because I found this video. I watched it with Lucy because we were watching uh, a Disney nature show or whatever. And there was this thing that popped up that I'm like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. Whenever I was growing up with my dad, he loved to watch nature shows. And there would always be little things that my dad and I would talk about that would be proof of God's existence in nature. And I thought this one was like incredible. So we're going to watch this one. This one bee now 
Divine Legacy. When he comes upon the scent of another orchid that same day, he heads right for it. If he slips into the bucket of this second orchid, the pollen sacks on his back will come unglued. Pollination can occur. A new orchid generation can begin. Has created such intricate strategies is a mystery of life. That is cool. That's dope. That is unbelievable. And see, I look at stuff like that, and I'm like, first of all, creation didn't didn't create that. Okay. But people that believe in evolution look at that and say, wow, how amazing the process of evolution. And I'm like, you're insane. How can something evolve to that level of intricacy? The odds are astronomical. God did that. And there are proof, I mean, that's proof that God exists. A flower, a flower has the ability to just so happen trap just this kind of bee that goes all these flowers. And then if there's only one way out, and then once it gets to that spot, it actually squeezes on it until it properly adheres these, these sacks of pollen to its back for it to dry, and then it lets it go? Are you kidding me? Like, I look at stuff like that, and I'm like, that is amazing. And there's a lot of things that you could apply that to. There are many spiritual truths just from that picture alone that you could take when it comes to, I mean, it could come to false doctrine. I mean, it could come to, you know, lust and sin and things like that. You could do stuff when it comes to, you know, even God, when it comes to the spiritual reproduction and the lengths that that thing would go through. I mean, there's just so many things you could take from that. It's unbelievable. So these things are all over the Bible. So what we're going to do is I want to show you guys some, some of these examples, and then I want you guys to look up some of these examples on your own. So from these examples, there are certain things where God uses something in creation to enhance his truth. And what he does is that he compares something to a spiritual truth. And then if you study that thing, you'll be able to understand more about it. So let's just keep it simple. All right. So let's take a look at wind. All right. So let's take a look at these two verses. So we got John 3, 8, and then Acts 2, 2 through 4. So everyone go to John 3. Give me someone to go to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, you got that one. Everyone else go to John chapter 3. All right. Okay, so John 3... And verse 8. So we got verse 8. We'll back it up just a little bit where Jesus answers Nicodemus in verse 5. He says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So being born again, or the Spirit of God, is correlated to wind. And then listen to Acts 2, 2 through 4. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so what two things do we learn here about the Spirit? What, 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 is, it, what is it compared to? First thing is? 
Wind. Wind. Second thing is? Of? Fire. Okay, so there's two things there, that when you learn about wind and learn about fire, you can learn about certain characteristics of the Spirit of God. So, when it comes to the Spirit, I love how he describes it here with wind in John 3. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Can you control the wind? You can bend it. Yeah, but it goes around you. So can you really control it? Not really. You can manipulate it a little bit, but it goes wherever it wants to go. Spirit of God is the same way. You can't control the Spirit of God. He's going to do whatever He wants to do. I've never really thought about that before. Well, yeah. But you look at the wind, and that's what happens. Can you see wind? No. So can you see the Spirit of God? No. But can you see the evidence of wind? Yeah. Absolutely. But when it comes to the Spirit of God... You can see the evidence of the Spirit in people's lives because if He blows into someone's life and He moves them in a certain direction that they normally wouldn't go, you know there's something different going on there. It's quite interesting. I like that. And then if you even study fire, what does fire do? Burn. It burns. So the Spirit of God burns inside of you. And so when it comes to like your next bonfire, when you look at the fire, think of, think of the Spirit of God because even God the Father is considered a consuming fire. What does it do? You put something in the fire and it... Burn. <laughs> it burns. And there are some things that burn and they don't exist anymore because they're completely burnt up. While there's other things that you put in the fire and it heats up, like you know, if you're making a hot dog or you're making a marshmallow, you put it in there, the thing on it will burn and can potentially burn away, but the thing that's holding it will not. So there are certain things like that as you start to apply some spiritual principles to you, you're like, hmm, that's interesting. So there's things like that that you can learn as you look and you study more about wind and you study more about fire. You can learn a lot about the Spirit of God or even God the Father. All right, what about trees? Let's take a look at this one. Go to Mark 8, 24, and someone else go to Psalm 1. Who wants to Psalm 1? Okay, Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Anyone else go to Mark? Mark. Mark chapter 8. All right, so in Mark chapter 8, you have a blind man, and Jesus takes this man, and he heals him. And so it says in verse 22, And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and he besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon the eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any, uh, nor tell it to any in the town. So this man, in the process of getting his eyes healed by Jesus, the first time Jesus does it, he says, I see men as, what does it say? Trees. trees. So men are compared to as trees. Uh, go ahead and Emily read Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Love those verses. So you and I are correlated to trees. When you have a tree that's by a river of water, the roots go down, and ends up sucking up that water, and it's, it's able to sustain itself. But if you get that same tree, and you put it in an area that has major drought, what's going to happen to the tree? It's going to die. 
So if a tree does not have proper water and sustenance, it's going to die. What is water compared to in the Bible? The Word of God, Ephesians chapter 5. Washing of the water by the Word. So the Word of God is, is correlated to water. And so you are trees. And so if you have no consistent diet of the Word of God going in you, and it actually affecting your life, you are going to die. You're going to die spiritually. There's no way it can be any other way. But you study trees. There's lots of different trees. I mean, you have deciduous versus the conifers, right? So the conifers, I mean, what are they? What's unique about them? Does anyone remember anything from science class? Yeah, so deciduous trees versus the conifers, or conifers, or conifers, however you say it. They do have leaves. But pine, but pine needles, those are the leaves. Did you not know that? Yeah, pine needles are the leaves. But they don't die. Well, they, they do die. But it's not depending on the season. No, you're fine. You're fine. No, but see, like, once you start, once you start thinking about it, this is kind of what I'm talking about. So, so you have evergreen trees, which that's where they get the name evergreen. They're forever green, right? Okay, so they're evergreen trees. And there's a reason why pagan man used to worship evergreen trees. Because they believed that there was some sort of a deity that had touched that tree because it lived perpetually, it was perpetually green. While other trees didn't. The deciduous trees, they lose their leaves every season and then they grow back again. But even in that, when you take a look at trees and the seasons that they go through, my goodness, there are seasons of life. There are major seasons of life when it comes to the first time that you grow up and you have this little sproutling bud that's very fragile and can be easily knocked over or destroyed. But if it's protected and those roots can grow down deep into the soil in order to sustain itself from the nutrients and the water from the ground, then it can actually grow up. And do you know that trees are actually three-part beings? Just like us. It's amazing. And they're full of sap. And that sap is what sustains them, is what carries nutrients up and down. And I'm telling you, the sap is a great picture of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. And so then you have that they lose their leaves. And so during one season, they're growing and they're fruitful and they have lots of leaves. But then there comes a point in time where the seasons change and it's very harsh. And so they lose their leaves. But then there's the evergreen trees. And I want to be a Christian that's like an evergreen, where it doesn't matter what the season is. I'm always green. So there's so many different spiritual applications to that. Men are like trees. And the Bible says that if you are willing to plant yourself by the rivers of water, then it doesn't matter what the season's going to be. You're going to be fruitful. That's pretty amazing. I love that. Um, all right, let's take a look at, uh, let's see here. Let's look at the sun. Let's talk about the sun. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, just so we have enough time. Um, all right, so let's take a look at the sun. So let's go to Malachi 4.2. Malachi 4.2. Malachi, Malachi, right before Matthew. <laughs> All right, Malachi, four, verse two. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his 
wings, and ye shall go forth as ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. So the son is capitalized, son of righteousness. This is a term talking about Jesus, the Messiah. That's what the context of this chapter is talking about is his coming. And so Jesus is referred to as the S-U-N, the son of righteousness. So God correlates Jesus to the sun, the sun, the center of our solar system. So you have that one. Let's take a look at the Psalm 84:11, And then someone else look at John 18, 12. Who wants that one? Ethan, you already got one. Yeah, you can look at that one. All right, so everyone, let's go to Psalm. Psalm 84. All right, Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walketh, the him that walk uprightly. So there again, God is like a son. Jesus is the son of righteousness. In verse 11 of Psalm 84, it talks about the Lord God as a son. And then listen to John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world, that he that follows shall have not walked in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Okay, so Jesus is the light of the world. So what is the light of the world in creation? The sun. The sun. See, you just got to read the Bible and believe it. So just based on these three things, you see the sun of righteousness, God is a sun, and then you have Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world. So what can we learn about the sun in comparison to the earth? What can we learn about it? What do you know about the sun? It's bright. It's very bright. It's very hot. It's very hot, yes. Going back to even how our God is a consuming fire. What else do we know about the sun? Yeah. I'm just thinking back to like what my disciples showed me about how like we're like described as like the moon and how we're supposed to reflect it to the world. Mm-hmm. And how like we're part of the world, we're, we're there, but we're not actually, you know, on it, we're not in it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And we're actually going to hit that one next because I want to look up a couple of verses on that one too. Sorry. No, you're fine. You didn't bust anything out. It's going, it's a natural lead into that. Yes, Jesus is the son. We're not. We're not. There's a lot of people that want to be the Lord of their life and it doesn't work out that well. What about where our, position, where our plane is positioned? If we're just like, you know, a degree closer to the sun, what happens to our orbit? Burn. Yeah, we will burn. It will destroy the earth. If we're just a little bit farther away, we, we will freeze to death. So you start to take a look at that. There is a habitable zone for our planet as it goes around our solar system. You know, for people that are, in, that are walking with God and are in the center of God's will, man, they're in a very habitable place where life can flourish. But you get too close and you start blaspheming God, and he will burn you. You get too far away from God, man, you're going to be cold. I mean, there's so many things. It's, it's just amazing. I love stuff like this. Like God has put evidence of himself all over the place, all over the place. And then what about the sun having its own gravitational pull? Stuff gets near the sun and it pulls it in. I mean, it's amazing. And even Jupiter. Do you know that Jupiter is actually a type of the devil? I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah. So when you study pagan religions, men used to worship different planets. And even when it comes to Greek and Roman mythology, Jupiter was always seen within Greek mythology as their version of Zeus. And so Jupiter is a picture of the devil. And so even the devil is, is, it cannot get outside of the power of the sun. It must rotate around its particular path that God had created. There's things like that that are just stunning to me. I love that. And then talking about the moon. So thank you for that segue. Let's look up these verses. Uh, someone take Job 25, verse 5. Who wants Job 25? 
to Job 25.5, Sam, go ahead and take Isaiah. No, everyone will go to Isaiah. You can take the Psalm 136. Everyone go to Isaiah. This one's cool. I love the one on Isaiah. I want everyone to read this one. Everyone but one person. Correct, but two people. Yep, Isaiah 60. Everyone else go to Isaiah chapter 60. 6-0. That's right. He's the biggest dude. Alright, Job 25-5. Okay, so the moon does not shine on its own, and the moon and the stars are not pure even in God's sight. So when it comes to the the moon and the stars, they've even been tainted by sin. And then listen to Psalm 136, verse 9. The moon and stars to rule by night for his mercy and forever. So the moon and the stars rule by night. So right now, we might rule over nations. People might rule over nations at this point in time. Uh, but there's coming a day where the sun's actually going to rule. And, uh, and we're not going to have any choice in the matter. And then take a look at Isaiah 60 and look at verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. See, that's where the moon reflects the sun. God's glory shall be seen upon us. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. So the light that we have is not ours. It is the glory of God that shines upon us. And as we let God shine upon us, other people will see that. They will see our light that we have that came from Him and we'll be able to bring them unto the Lord. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. So it's a picture of born-again believers, people that are, that are believers that follow the Lord and are really good witnesses of God. So there's many things. So we just kind of covered, let's see, wind and trees, the first two, and then we covered the sun and the moon right there in the middle. Um, and there's a whole list. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get in groups, groups of three, four, whatever you want to do. If you want to break out in rows again, that's fine. We can have like this row, that row, that row, that row, that row. That's fine. And I want you guys to pick um, one or two things, depending on the time that we've got. Probably only one thing. So pick one thing in here, and I want you to look up those references. And I want you to see what you can learn from that particular created thing. What spiritual truth can you learn more about if you were to study that out? All right? Do it. Yep, choose whichever one. Doesn't matter. I'm not going to give them to you. You choose. Ready, set, go. Yeah. All right, so let's bring it back in. So, what'd you find? What'd you learn? Let's talk about it. What do we got? We'll go first. Okay. Front row. Front row, fellas. So, we did the ants. The ants. And, like, in 30.25, it says, like, the ants are people not strong, yet they are prepared for their meat in the summer. So, like, they're small, and they don't seem strong, but they really are. And so we said, what you don't see may be bigger than it is, because many people, like, they don't believe in, like, unseen things, like God. You can't see him. And so, like, ants, you can't really see them, but they can hold ten times their weight. Mm -hmm. So it's like, that can compare to God, like, ten. God can, like, teach you many things. Sure. Okay, good. What else about ants can you guys learn from that? Anything else? 
There's a lot from ants. That's they depend on each other to survive. That they're not lazy and like they prepare right? their stuff before like it's time yeah. that they can't get anymore. Yep, they're very hard workers and they have to be in order to survive. So an ants are a great picture of us being diligent in the work that God's given us. Um, I love the fact that, have you ever seen an ant like take down like a wasp or you know, a creature that's bigger than himself? I've seen that. That's kind of cool. So they start to do that. I mean, together we can accomplish a lot. Like when you have a lot of us working together towards a common goal, man, you can do a lot of stuff. So those are a couple of really easy ones. Good. All right. You just want to kind of work our way down? Yeah. Well, you do because you're done. <laughs> or do you guys want to go? Okay. You want me to go? Okay. Done. What'd you guys do? Uh, we read the verses and then used Blue Letter Bible. Okay. About what word? Rain. Rain. Okay. So, uh, in context for Jeremiah 5, 24, there was verse 23 and it said, But these people have revolting and rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in our, their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in the season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholding good things from you. So we think that rain is kind of like a gift, because mm-hmm. without rain, the crops won't grow and there mm-hmm. is no harvest. Yep. Yep. Good. Anything else you guys want to pull in there? Good job. Rain being, brings water from the Bradley. sky. sky. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't rain upward. Ah! <laughs> That'd be weird. That'd be really weird. <laughs> Giant splash park. So, <laughs> splash pad. Um, so rain falls from the sky. And the whole purpose of rain, especially for farmers, is that it, it gives the ability for what to grow. Crops, vegetation, fruit. So if you don't have rain, there's nothing that can grow. Do you know the first mention of the word doctrine in the Bible is associated with rain? And it produces growth. It's really interesting. So um, rain is also a picture in the Bible of judgment. Because if it rains too hard, too fast, what does it do? It destroys. Yeah, flash floods. It destroys everything in its path. Water is very destructive. And so water can be used for growth or it can be used for destruction, just like the Word of God. If someone's not willing to listen to the Word of God, it will actually destroy and ruin their life. Or if you're willing to listen to it, it could actually help you grow. There's really a lot of things like that that are kind of cool. Straight up. (laughs) Dude, that slaps. Okay. (laughs) All right. So... Here, and then we'll go here. Do you only want us to do? I don't care. Pick one. Let's okay. go with that. Fish. I'll do grass. All right. So Isaiah 47 or 40 verse 7: The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. So we put that grass is a picture of our fleshly bodies not lasting forever. Yeah, that's good. And so even when it comes to grass, like. If you have a certain patch in your ground that all of a sudden the grass is dead, I mean, what do you know? Oh, it sucks. <laughs> okay. Green, brown, green. Patch. Yeah, it looks bad. It looks really, really bad. But there's something going on underneath the soil. Bad stuff. Yeah. I remember that we used to get grubs in my parents' yard like crazy. And if you had too many grubs in one particular area, it would kill the grass in that particular section. Yeah. And so you get grubs, which is a great picture of sin because grubs are gross. But it will kill you. I mean, it will literally kill you. And it will destroy the grass. It will destroy your life. So those are, those are great 
pictures. If you take a chunk of grass and you just pull it out by the roots and you set it aside, what's going to happen to it? Dead. It's going to be dead. It's going to be dead. But once grass starts growing, I mean, it multiplies pretty quickly. And it's really not hard to plant. It's very easy to plant. So, anyway. And there's many different types of grass. Yeah, they, in fact, they even say that. When grass is growing, it goes, ew. All right. Okay, good. All right, ladies, go ahead. We're getting stars. Excellent. So I basically did all of yours for you. Okay, so stars. <laughs> Should I? Oh, I'm not. I'm not there I'm at there. all. You're there, Rita versus Benthes. I was just gonna give it to you. I know you okay. can talk too. Um, well, the one is actually listed under moon, but Psalm 136:9 is the moon and stars to rule by night for His mercy endureth forever. Mm -hmm. And that was the big one for me. Um, the Revelations. Oh, I got that one now. Okay. <laughs> The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of thy seven of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And then um, Revelation eight twelve also says And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened and the day shone not for the third part of it and the night likewise so obviously we were talking with you about it we're just like like angels and stars um like when it's day out like the sun is a picture of um god and you can't see the stars the sun kind of like outshines them all but then when it's darkness they shine through and it's kind of it can be it can be taken in two perspectives of like the evil angels that fell where they're trying to magnify themselves um, and just I kind of took it too as um, kind of like the good angels when it is dark um, like spiritually like in your life you can really start to see God working as opposed to when you know you're doing great in your walk and your faith and then it starts to um, you kind of take for granted what he does mm -hmm. yeah that's good. Another thought I just had just popped in my head, too. So when I was younger, <clears throat> I did um, uh, Skylab. So I, I taught. And so you can look at the constellations, and it shows you different aspects of Roman and Greek mythology. And so I would tell the stories. Well, it's interesting that stars are the ones that actually depict those stories. And yet they could also be used as fallen angels as well with the gods of Olympus, the angels coming down and procreating among women, which actually happened in Greek and Roman mythology and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'll just let that simmer. So, okay. Continuing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> so we did fish, and um, in verse, well, Matthew 17, verse 27, it's talking about, like, go to the sea, and so, like, the sea is, like, a mission field. Mm -hmm. And it said, like, the first fish that cometh, so, like, the first is in the way we have, I guess. And um, so, like, take, it says take up the first fish. So, like, we have the fish of the men, and mm -hmm. um, the fish of the lost people. Yep, for sure. And I think in that one, doesn't there a coin in one of the fish's mouth? Is that the one that's in there, too? Okay. So, another great thing is that, you know, we're supposed to be fishers of men, but it's through winning the loss to the Lord that we can actually have funds in order to do the work of God and to keep reaching more people, which is an interesting concept, too. So, anyway. Okay, good.
So there's all sorts of stuff. There, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. This is just a small sampling of some of the things you can find. So if you ever want an interesting study, especially if you're ever teaching kids anything, I mean, take a piece of creation and study it out. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, right now, Bobby and I have a great opportunity at Northwest. So he's already been doing it for two weeks before I even got there, but he couldn't do the Bible study at Northwest. So we're allowed to go into Northwest, which is amazing. I mean, that's absolutely amazing. So we're doing this Bible club. And so Bobby kicked it off and he did it for the first two weeks. So he missed this past week. And so we're actually talking about creation. So he teed it up talking about how the Bible is the authority and why we can trust the Bible. And then the next question was talking about creation. And then I got partway through talking about creation and it really brought up some really good questions. And so I'm going to actually continue this Friday of where we left off, where I left off with them this past Friday, literally going through Genesis 1 in school. I love this. Telling them that evolution is a completely a piece of garbage and what the Bible actually says and how it makes sense with creation when it comes to the earth and the firmament and the universe being full of water. And we're going to talk all about that stuff. So it's really a neat way to reach people because most people have never really heard some of these things. So it's kind of cool. All right. Any final comments, questions? No, we did not evolve from trees. Sorry. We are trees. Pay attention. Yeah, dude. So the next time you cut a tree down, <laughs> be, a, <laughs> be a tree hugger and a rabbit lover. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Anything else? Okay. All right, hopefully this guy, this helps you guys out. So next week, we're going to talk about apparent contradictions. This one will be a fun one. So there are places in your Bible that actually seem like they talk about opposites, or this passage seems to contradict this passage over here, and how do you deal with them? So those are some pretty cool ones. So we'll take a look at that next week, which will be on Wednesday, not Tuesday. Okay. All right, let's get someone to pray for us, and we'll be out of here. Someone's just throwing their Bible around. All right. Thanks, man. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I think that we have uh, pastors that care about us and uh, leaders that care about us. And uh, thank you for the freedom that we can come to church. Um, I pray that we wouldn't take it for granted. I pray that you just bless the rest of this night and uh, bless the rest of our fellowship. And that uh, we'd be witnesses for you throughout the week at school and uh, at work. And just uh, keep us safe. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.